1: Good! Ah! Ulrike Ogunpore wins the national championship for Notre
0: Dame! Plus fighting Irish hockey. They score! Jake Evans
1: scores! Notre Dame, 3.7 seconds away from a spot in the national championship game.
0: The NFL and Major League Baseball.
1: Oh my gracious, yeah. how about
0: that? Sports Radio 960 WSBT, WSBTradio.com, the free WSBT radio app. Big time audits. Now, here's your host, seven-time Associated Press Broadcasting Award winner, Darren Pritchett.
2: Hi, everyone. Welcome to Sports feed on Sports Radio 960 WSBT, a live stream at WSBTradio.com. Also on our free WSBT radio app where you can also listen to this program on demand, the Twitch app has a video feed of the program going right now. Just go to Twitch and search Sports Radio 960 WSBT. Hope you're having a terrific Thursday, January the 26th of 2023, our program on the air until seven o'clock tonight. Then at seven o'clock, the latest installment of the Mike Bray show will be heard right here on WSBT radio. Mike's Irish basketball team, one and nine of the ACC. They will host Louisville coming up Saturday at noon. And for folks that maybe want to take the kids out, the family out to a college basketball game, they have some specially priced tickets over at Notre Dame for this matchup against Louisville. It's a noon tip on Saturday. So if you are a family of four or five, and maybe you can never bring the family out for a game at the same time, with the ticket prices on Saturday, it might be more doable So if you are interested, make sure you check it out at UND.com slash buy tickets. Coming up on tonight's Budweiser's Weekday Sportsbeat, we'll have our hat trick of opening topics coming up in just a second. We are going to play back a portion of Trey Mancini's press conference. The former Notre Dame star baseball player signed a free agent deal with the Chicago Cubs. Why is Mancini... Interested in playing for the Chicago Cubs. In particular, the Cubs already have a veteran first baseman in Eric Hosmer. How can they work together? Also, Mancini on if the brain trust of the Chicago Cubs laid out the Cubs' plan for the next couple of years. And also what it was like to be traded from the Orioles to the Astros at the deadline last year, and of course, He ended up being on a world championship Houston Astro baseball team, now going to a Chicago Cub organization in a much different place than the team he departed, the Houston Astros. So you will hear from the former Notre Dame star coming up in just a little bit. We've got our Twitter question of the day to get to. Also coming up in the 6 o'clock hour, we will check out some of the ACC basketball numbers that, have led to, at this point in the proceedings, seven teams would get bids right now, according to Joe Lenardi of ESPN in his bracketology for the NCAA tournament. You take a look at some of the numbers. You know, the ACC is down once again this year. They would get seven in. The defending ACC champion would not be one of them, and... You take a look across the board, you would have a three seed from the ACC, and the next closest would be a five seed. So we'll talk some ACC bracketology in the 6 o'clock hour. You'll hear from Fighting Irish head coach Jeff Jackson. The Irish are going to take on the Wisconsin Badgers at the Compton tomorrow night and Saturday. And you'll hear from Coach Jackson talking about his goaltender, Ryan Bishel, who made 94 saves last weekend at Penn State. He now has accumulated the most saves in the country. He is number five in the country in save percentage. He has started every game for the Irish this season. So Coach Jackson on Ryan Bishel, And also Coach Jackson offers some thoughts on Mike Bray leaving his post as Notre Dame basketball coach after 23 years. Coach Jackson has been with the Irish for 18 years. So he reminisces on... A couple of the phone calls he's had with Mike Bray, including one recently. And also kind of a little thought on his future, too. So we'll get to that coming up in the 6 o'clock hour. We also have in the My 5 question of the day, my Big 10 men's basketball power rankings going into tonight's action. And we'll wrap up the program with a little sports wagering Sizzler conversation here on the program right before the Mike Bray Show at 7 o'clock on Sports Radio 960 WSBT. And we start the program with our hat trick of opening topics. Of course, in hockey, a hat trick means three goals, so we have three opening topics to get the program underway. The last couple of days I've included in our opening topics a look at college football schedules for 2023 featuring what I would consider a playoff contender. Now we took a look at the Georgia Bulldog schedule last night and it is very, very doable for the Bulldogs to get back to the playoff once again with an opportunity to 3 as national champions. So tonight, we will take a look at what could be their stiffest competition from the Southeastern Conference, Nick Saban's Alabama Crimson Tide. Here's a look at the schedule this year for the Tide. I'll say this, last year, there were several bumps in the road that could happen and occurred. They had a very difficult road schedule last year. You might recall they had to go to Texas in the non-conference season. They played at LSU. They also had to go to Ole Miss. They had to go to Tennessee. Tennessee and LSU, they lost on the final play of the game, costing them a spot In the college football playoff, despite the fact, I would argue, Alabama was one of the four best teams in the country last year, but they lost two games, didn't have the resume, they were at home while the playoff was going on, they actually won the Sugar Bowl in convincing fashion over Kansas State, the same Kansas State team that beat TCU in the Big 12 title game, the same TCU team that, well, they lost by a few points in the title game to Georgia. Alabama was really good, but they lost twice, and they had to watch the playoff from their couches. So can the Tide get back? Of course, Bryce Young, their quarterback, Will Anderson, their edge rusher, going to the NFL draft, but we all know Alabama doesn't rebuild. They reload. Keon Keeley, the former Notre Dame edge rusher commit, who decommitted, he ended up. At Alabama, and you would imagine he would be a guy that will be on the field quite a bit for the Tide this year. So, the Tide's path to the playoff. Is it difficult? Let's go through it. September 2nd, they open with a non-conference home game against Middle Tennessee. A good warm-up for the next game, September 9th, when they take on the Texas Longhorns. Ewers or Manning? At starting quarterback for Texas, I would assume yours, but Manning probably won't be sitting for that long, in particular, if Quinn struggles. Alabama then hits the road for a non-conference game. That does not happen very often under Nick Saban. The Crimson Tide, September 16th, will play at South Florida, going through a coaching change. Then Southeastern Conference play starts for the Crimson Tide, September 23rd. Alabama's old friend, Lane Kiffin, will bring the Rebels of Ole Miss to Tuscaloosa. Then September 30th, Alabama at Mississippi State. Of course, Mike Leach passing away. Mississippi State has a new head coach this year. I think it's their defensive coordinator, if I'm not mistaken. So we'll see what Mississippi State looks like on offense this year. As we look at the Alabama Crimson Tide football schedule for 2023, a place where they lost two years ago on a last-second field goal. Seems to be a trend. When they lose, it's at the gun. Bama goes to College Station October 7th to visit Texas A&M. How many of those freshmen they picked up with a lot of NIL money are going to be around for that matchup? Then October 14th, it is Alabama hosting Arkansas. And then the following week, the rematch from a crazy, exciting game in Knoxville, won by the Volunteers on a last-second field goal. October 21st, playoff implications as it'll be Tennessee at Alabama, both teams with new starting quarterbacks. The Tide will have their bye week, October 28th, perfect. Right before they take on Mike Denbrock, Brian Kelly, and the LSU Tigers. That matchup on November the 4th in Tuscaloosa. Again, LSU got by the Tide on a two-point conversion in Baton Rouge last year. The final three games of the year for Nick Saban's Crimson Tide, they will go to Kentucky on November the 11th. Then you've got a non-conference layup against Chattanooga on November 18th. And that leads into the latest installment of the Iron Bowl as Alabama will go to Auburn. So the key games on the Alabama schedule, that home non-conference game against Texas, September 23rd home against Ole Miss, I'm not willing to put A&M in the category of a a massive game although it is in College Station, you got to be ready for that one. But you got Tennessee and Tuscaloosa October 21st, LSU and Tuscaloosa November 4th, and they should be able to take care of Auburn, but it's a rivalry game, you never know. Bama at Auburn November 25th. What stands out about the Crimson Tide schedule? Crossover play, no Georgia, and we'll throw Florida in there, not at the same level of quality of play, but Florida not showing up on the schedule against the Tide. So Alabama has a very doable schedule this year. There are challenges with Texas, Tennessee, and LSU at home. But the road schedule, much more doable than last year's meat grinder. So a very good chance we could see the Tide back in the playoff this year. Topic number two on our hat trick of opening topics tonight on Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat. And we focus on Jeff Saturday, a member of the Indianapolis Colts Ring of Honor, one of the great centers in the National Football League. Won a Super Bowl championship with the Colts, hiking the football to Peyton Manning. Saturday, retired, got into broadcasting on ESPN and Colts owner Jim Ursay brought Saturday from ESPN to become the Colts interim head coach despite the fact his only coaching experience was at the high school level. Once they let Frank Wright go, Saturday came in as the interim head coach. I think it was a bit of a surprise when the Colts won that first game with Saturday in charge. It was out in Las Vegas against the Raiders. And then things took a turn for the worse as Saturday and the Colts would lose their last seven games of the year. Now, some would argue that's not a bad thing. If you're not going to make the playoffs, be really, really bad because it improves your draft position. Some might say, well, maybe the Colts were just putting Saturday as the interim head coach and A guy, an offensive coordinator who had never called a play in the NFL, that they were tanking. You could argue that, but I don't think Jim Ursay was that creative. I think this is one of his buddies, and he gave him the opportunity, knowing that Saturday was going to hold people accountable in the locker room. He was going to be a strong voice in that locker room, but without the coaching experience. And I think also... He was brought in to try to help fix that offensive line that has way too much money invested in it to be as poor as they were last year. So Saturday arrives and he goes one and seven to end the year. Also on his resume, among the seven losses, he allowed the greatest comeback in NFL history to take place on his watch. The Colts and the Vikings playing up in the Twin Cities, the Colts raced out to a 33 to nothing lead, only to lose in overtime 36 33. So, with all those red marks on the resume, Jeff Saturday is still a candidate to become the Indianapolis Colts head coach. He is getting ready for his second interview. Now, the second round of interviews will include owner Jim Ursay in the room. He was not involved in the first batch of interviews. Now, it sounds like there's going to be a few individuals involved in the second round of interviewing. My best guess, besides Saturday, the Colts are interested in Shane Steichen, the Eagles offensive coordinator. He has worked with Philip Rivers, Justin Herbert, and now Jalen Hurts, a young guy, 37 years old. If you're going to bring in a young quarterback with what is right now the fourth overall pick, my suggestion is bring in a guy that has experience in developing quarterbacks. Steichen falls into that category. Or you could go a different direction. You could bring in a strong defensive mind and maybe have the offensive coordinator, quarterback, coach be that groomer. Marco Ryans, 49ers defensive coordinator, played a long time in the league, has been great out in San Francisco the last couple of years as defensive coordinator has them on the doorstep of Super Bowl 57. So Ryans apparently is a great leader as well. Interesting. Interesting. Jairo Avero, the Broncos' defensive coordinator, another young coach, 42 years old, was a position coach for the L.A. Rams when they won the Super Bowl last year. This season, he was brought to Denver to be the Broncos' defensive coordinator. As a Bronco fan, I thought he did a terrific job running the defense. Again, from what I've read from the Bronco media, this guy is a great leader of men. He is interviewed for the Bronco head coaching position. I don't think they're that interested in him. They're going for Sean Payton. Avera would be a good, solid choice. I kind of lead toward an offensive mind in this coaching cycle, but I think he's a very strong candidate. But Jeff Saturday's still involved. And I wonder I'm not a Colts fan. This is just an outsider's perspective could Jim Irsay lose a portion of the fan base if he goes with Saturday? When you think about what it takes to be a head coach and these head coaches work their way up the ladder as position coaches or coordinators to become the head coach, Saturday bypassed all that and just became the interim head coach. Is there a concern in Colts Nation about This guy becoming the full time head coach? Oh, I think absolutely. And I worry that Ursay is going to alienate a part of the fan base, turn off a portion of the fan base by going with what is perceived as his buddy and not one of the other rising stars in the National Football League. This is a big moment for the Colts. They have not been able to secure that starting quarterback since Andrew Luck retired from the NFL. They brought in guys. Phillip Rivers was okay. Wentz was, eh, huh? Well, yeah. Matt Ryan had his issues. They just have not been able to find that difference maker. Now it looks like they'll go the draft route for their quarterback. And I have my concerns if the Colts go with Jeff Saturday and not one of these coordinators or a former head coach to take charge of this organization that needs a shakedown, to say the least. And we now move to our third and final hat trick of opening topics and it centers around something that happened 37 years ago today if you are under the age of 30 you probably don't remember this everybody else heck yeah this was a great memory for a lot of sports fans in our area we'll give you a little hint right off the bat as pretty dominant team was able to finally secure that championship. Here's a hint. the Chicago Bears were not afraid to be boisterous, cocky. They put together that song before their Super Bowl run concluded. The Super Bowl shuffle was a big craze back in 1985 as the Bears had so many interesting personalities. You had the funky QB, Jim McMahon, who wore... A headband with Roselle on it in protest to some of the things that NFL Commissioner Pete Roselle had done. You had one of the greatest running backs of all time, Walter Payton. Maybe the greatest defensive lineman to ever carry the football, William Refrigerator Perry. You had a track star in Willie Galt at wide receiver. And then the 46 defense led by... Buddy Ryan with that great linebacking core. Otis Wilson, Wilbur Marshall, Mike Singletary. You had Steve McMichael, Dan Hampton, Richard Dent up front. I mean, this team had a load of talent and a load of personality. And the Bears team almost made history during the regular season. The Bears started that season 13-0. They were threatening the 72 Dolphins as an undefeated champion. But on a Monday night with Howard Cosell, December 2nd, the Bears lost to, oddly enough, the Miami Dolphins on Monday Night Football, 38-24. They gave up 38 in that game to Dan Marino and the Dolphins. The odd thing is they would give up 44 points the rest of the year over their final six games. They would close out the regular season at 15-1. and Made it to the NFL Divisional Round as the number one seed of the NFC, and they shut out the New York football Giants, 21-0. What I remember from that game, Sean Lendetta, the punter for the Giants, going to punt the football, and the wind blew the ball away from him, and as he attempted to punt the football... It was a swing and a miss. Chicago shuts out the Giants 21-0 to make it to the NFC Championship game where the Bears dominated once again, shutting out the LA Rams 24-0. So they outscored their two NFC playoff opponents 45 to nothing. The defense was just that amazing. They made it to Super Bowl 20 20- The New England Patriots. Kind of a surprise coming out of the AFC that year. They would take on the Chicago Bears. And an early fumble by Walter Payton, recovered by the Patriots right around the Bears' 20-yard line, led to a Patriots field goal. The New England states were going wild. They were tasting a Super Bowl victory. They had a 3-0 lead on the Bears in the first quarter. And that's when the fun pretty much ended for the folks from... Foxborough. This is how it sounded Super Bowl 20 on NBC on this date in 1986 with Dick Enberg on the call.
1: On the ground to Craig James. Caught in the backfield. And a fumble and the Bears have it again. Don Blackman was offside. So he is in the end zone for a touchdown. Morehead one of the tight ends in motion. Perry drives through and following behind is McMahon for the touchdown. Here they come. And intercepted for a touchdown, the rookie Reggie Phillips. Reggie Phillips from SMU, a second-round draft pick this year, playing because of the injury to Leslie Frazier, and he will tuck away a Super Bowl through. The reality of first and goal. another Super Bowl record, the first refrigerator to score. (laughs) Walter Payton, Mike Ditka, hungry Chicago, finally champions on this January day in New Orleans. 46-10, the final.
2: Yeah, it was not close once. The Bears defense got a hold of first Patriots quarterback Tony Eason and then eventually Steve Grogan. Ball game over. Bears win Super Bowl 20, 46-10. Now, I kind of remember the Doomsday defense and the Steel Curtain, the Cowboys, and the Steelers' defenses in the 70s, but I'm not one to be able to judge that group against the 85 Bears. Since I've been following football and understood the game of football, to me, the two defenses stand out, Ray Lewis and the Baltimore Ravens in 2000 to beat the Giants in the Super Bowl. That defense was so tough to move the football on. And the other was the 46 defense of the 1985 Chicago Bears. There was a bit of controversy from that Super Bowl when The first thing, the great Walter Payton did not score a touchdown in that game. Jim McMahon, the quarterback, scored twice on the ground. Matt Suey had a touchdown run, and as you heard, the defensive lineman, William the Refrigerator Perry, had a rushing touchdown, but Sweetness never found the end zone. The other thing that was interesting, Mike Ditka, of course, the head coach of the Bears, a, an amazing personality leading that Bears football team, was carried off the field, and right behind him, some of the defensive players lifted defensive coordinator Buddy Ryan onto their shoulders in a very odd way moment to see a coordinator and the head coach on players' shoulders to celebrate a Super Bowl victory. And the thing is, if you remember that Bears team, it is really unthinkable that they did not get back to another Super Bowl, let alone win another Super Bowl. Looked like that team was built to be good for a few years. Wilbur Marshall ended up going to Washington and free agency and the thing just sort of fell apart. Unfortunately, the Bears are hoping to get back to the top of the mountain sometime soon and probably with quarterback Justin Fields. Or could it be with someone else? We'll get to that coming up in our Twitter question of the day in just a little bit. So, there you go. 37 years to 37 years ago today, the Chicago Bears Super Bowl 20 champions bears football you can hear it on our sister station again this fall quality rock 94.3 fm 534 is our time that's our hat trick of opening topics looking at the alabama football schedule for this year a playoff contender we've analyzed jeff saturday really is going to get another interview for the colts head coaching job and looking back at history the bears winning super bowl 20 on this date Coming up next, you'll hear from former Notre Dame star Trey Mancini. Now he's going to play baseball on the north side of Chicago for the Cubs. You'll hear from Trey coming up as Budweiser's weekday sports beat continues 5:35 at Sports Radio 960 WSBT.
0: You can listen to Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat live or on demand with our free WSBT radio app. Just search WSBT Radio in the App Store and Google Play. Now, back to local sports talk on Sports Beat with your host, Darren Pritchett.
2: 20 minutes in front of six o'clock. Hour number one of Budweiser's weekday sports beat continues on 960 AM WSBT. Well, Trey Mancini was a member of the Fighting Irish baseball program. Had a great career here in South Bend. Eventually drafted by the Baltimore Orioles, and Trey moved on to professional baseball after three years of playing here. In South Bend, he made it to the majors at the age of 24, played five games in 2016 with the Baltimore Orioles and eventually became a full-time major league player in 2017. With free agency looming last year, Mancini was traded by the Baltimore Orioles despite the fact they were a fringe wild card contender in the America League. They moved him to the Houston Astros for the final 51 games of the Astros' regular season. And unfortunately, Mancini did not hit the baseball as well as he normally does with the Astros hitting 176 and 165 at-bats with a 258 on base, eight homers, and 22 runs batted in. When you add in the Baltimore stats, he hit 239 with a 319 on base, both of those numbers below his career numbers at the major league level. So Mancini didn't get to hit a whole lot in the postseason. He struggled, but made a terrific defensive play in the World Series the night that the Astros clinched against the Philadelphia Phillies. That one play at first base might have saved a Big, crooked number being put on the board by the Phillies. That play was a turning point as the Phillies were shut down by Mancini and Trey and the Astros went on to win the 2022 World Series. So Trey has a very nice World Series ring and a pretty nice postseason share for being on the world champion, Houston Astros. And for the first time this year, Mancini had the opportunity to choose where he was going to play his baseball because he had reached the point of free agency and Mancini had to wait a little while but eventually worked out a two-year deal with the Chicago Cubs so Mancini will play his age 31 and likely 32 seasons on the north side of Chicago. So Trey Mancini meeting the Chicago Cubs media was asked, what was it about the Chicago Cubs that interested him and eventually Made him want to sign with the Northsiders.
3: Yeah, the, the Cubs were a team the whole time that we thought would be a great fit for me. Um, you know, I have a lot of Midwest roots um, and, and went to college nearby. And, um, you know, in the team, too, it's, it just seemed like a great fit, a team, um, you know, where I could move around in, in the different positions I played in my career, whether it be first, outfield, DH, um, you know, I'm always... Always down for any of them, um, you know, good to play wherever they want me. So, um, you know, I thought the team team would be a great fit. And with the moves that 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 we've made this offseason, um, you know, it's a really exciting team to play for moving forward.
2: I would imagine had Mancini hit a little better last year, the number of teams interested in him would have been a few more. But late in the process, the Cubs were looking for another bat. An individual that brings a little versatility, and Mancini does bring that. Trey can play first base, he can play left field, right field, and we are going into the second year of the DH in the National League, so that's a really good fit for Mancini as well. And I think the two-year deal makes a lot of sense from a Chicago Cub standpoint. And even from the Mancini side, Trey has an opportunity to rebuild his portfolio, put up some bigger numbers, and possibly in two years have the opportunity to make a little more cash with probably it would be his last significant opportunity to hit payday at the age of 33. So it's really a chance for Mancini to rebuild his brand. Baltimore's ballpark is... A little different than it was for many years. Camden Yards, they moved the fences back, so that affected his power. Going to Wrigley Field where, let's face it, in the power alleys, you can hit some Little League home runs with that 368 power alley. Very difficult down the lines, but in the alleys, he can really do some good damage for the Cubs. And I think the Cubs are at a point right now they are starting the upward trend coming out of all the trades they made, getting rid of Anthony Rizzo. Chris Bryant, Javier Baez, they let Wilson Contreras leave in free agency. They are now starting that upward trend. I'm not convinced they're a playoff contender this year. With the weakness of the NL Central, I'm not going to count it out. The St. Louis Cardinals are the defending champion. They are not a powerhouse. They are not a team that is capable of just walking away with this division because they have some deficiencies that have not been – filled by the organization, and the only way they get filled is if the players they still have on the roster pitch or play better than they did last year because outside of Contreras signing with St. Louis, it's kind of the same team we saw last year with the exceptions of two guys retiring and Albert Pujols and Yadier Molina. Those are two big losses, no doubt about it. So it's not like St. Louis is going to run away. The Cubs are looking to add parts right now to make what I would call a semi-push. But I think we're also in a spot where the Cubs are filling some holes on the 40-man roster with players to make them more competitive right now, but also not signing some of these guys to long-term deals because of players they have confidence in that should arrive, I would imagine, next year. You probably are not going to need any veteran outfielders like a Mancini in two years when you hope your outfield might be Brennan Davis and then two guys that played for the South Bend Cubs last year, Owen Cassie and Pete Crow Armstrong. I think Davis and Crow Armstrong are definitely a part of the future of this Cub baseball team. So you really don't want some parts on your team longer than two years at this point because the Cubs feel like these prospects will be arriving, I'm imagining, in 2024 or 2025. So this is a really good fit for the Cubs. They get a veteran presence for their clubhouse. They get a good power bat that can fill the void in left, right, first, and designated hitter. Now what's interesting is, and this is the part I want to see play out, but the Cubs have two first basemen, right now on the roster that you could consider as starters, Mancini and Eric Hosmer. Hosmer had an interesting year last year. He was involved in the Juan Soto deal. He was a San Diego Padre. They got off to a hot start with the bat in his hand last year and then cooled off dramatically, got traded, ended up in Boston, and Boston let him go. And now Hosmer signed a $700,000 deal with the Cubs. This is a good deal for the Cubs because – He is still under contract with the Padres, and they have to pay the next three years worth $39 million so the Cubs could sign him for the minimum and brought him into their clubhouse. Hosmer's a left-handed hitting first baseman. Mancini is a right-handed hitting first baseman, so you would have to imagine there could be a platoon at first base between Hosmer and Mancini, and here is how Mancini described this brand new combination at first base of himself and Hosmer.
3: Yeah. Like I said earlier, um, you know, I can play at different places, either corner outfield, first base or, or DH. And, and um, you know, that's, that's going to be my role is moving around. Um, it'll probably depend on who's pitching on the other team. Um, you know, whether or where, where I'm playing is going to depend on that. So, um, and that's what Rossi told me when I talked to him on the phone um, and I told him, you know, I don't care where I play at all. You know, I just, I like playing wherever you want me. I'm there.
2: The numbers just show Hosmer is not the same player he was winning a World Series with the Kansas City Royals in 2015. I get the reason why they got him cheap, $700,000 for a starting player at the major level. That's pretty good. But Hosmer's defensive numbers have eroded. He hits a lot of ground balls in today's game. Ball in the air, he is not that person. I will say this, he will cut down on strikeouts that the Cubs had last year. If you're a Cub fan and you're tired of seeing your team strike out a lot, Hosmer will not strike out as much, but he's not going to provide you a lot of pop. So I honestly prefer Mancini over Hosmer full-time, but I'm betting it's going to be more of a platoon. Also, Mancini was asked if the Cubs front office laid out anything in regard to what the Cubs' future is going to look like or basically what their plan is?
3: Um, Yeah, I mean, I I wouldn't say that a plan was necessarily laid out, but I think with the signings that were made this offseason, that that speaks volumes, Um, you know, that, um, you know, I – have never played with any of the other guys that were signed by the Cubs this off season, but I've played against them, have such a high respect for, for all of them, you know, I've gotten, I've been lucky enough to to play against them all um, and, and thrilled to be on their team now. So, um, you know, I think that's a huge, a huge step and a huge message that, um, you know, maybe this won't be a long process, you know, and, and I think we can get things turned around really quickly.
2: Well, we know in free agency, starting pitching is Really, really expensive. The good news is the Cubs have plenty of money, whether they want to claim that they're poor or not. They have the money to go out and get a guy like they did in 14, bringing John Lester to the Cubs, helping to change the attitude of the organization, making it a winning organization, and probably is going to be a Hall of Famer in a couple of years, and a guy that helped the Cubs win a Super Bowl, Bowl, a World Series championship. I would imagine the Cubs will have to go out and get a couple of starting pitchers. I'm still not sure about their minor league system. I think Justin Steele is the real deal. And Hayden, is it Wisniewski? Those two guys they're counting on. But let's see what else comes through the Cubs organization over the next couple of years. Otherwise, they may have to go spend a few dollars to get some starting pitching to make them big-time contenders in a very winnable in El Central, We'll play back a little bit more from Trey Mancini's press conference tomorrow, including dealing with so much adversity, the cancer diagnosis, going through the treatments, missing the 2020 season, coming back five months later for the 21 campaign. He has gone through a lot, and this guy continues to persevere, and he is still a very capable Major League player, so those comments coming up. On tomorrow's program. Congratulations, Trey Mancini, Notre Dame guy playing for the Chicago Cubs. 552 at WSBT.
0: My husband and I had
3: a sleep divorce.
0: A Michiana tradition continues. Welcome to Budweiser's weekday sports beat on Sports Radio 960 WSBT.
2: 556 at Sports Radio 960 WSBT. I'm Darren Pritchett. Some news from the National Football League tied into the Indianapolis Colts and their coaching search. One individual that they interviewed has taken his name out of consideration for the Colts job and every other job that he has been, I guess, discussing with teams about. Tom Pellicero from the NFL Network reports that Dallas Cowboys defensive coordinator Dan Quinn has informed interested teams that he is staying in Dallas. Quinn was a top candidate for the Arizona Cardinals head coaching job. He had also interviewed with the Indianapolis Colts and the Denver Broncos, but Palo Cerro, to quote on Twitter, says his heart is in Dallas and he wants to win, I'm trying not to giggle, a Super Bowl. The Cowboys? Super Bowl? Winning a Super Bowl? Come on, that doesn't happen anymore. That hasn't happened since 1995. They don't even make the NFC championship game anymore. He's a big dreamer, obviously, but Dan Quinn, seriously, who led the Falcons to the Super Bowl and that Super Bowl, the Patriots rallied from 28, three down to win in Overtime, not going to be a head coach again in this cycle. He'll stay in Dallas as their defensive coordinator.
0: This is the Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat Twitter Question of the Day from Sports Radio 960 WSBT.
2: Yesterday's Twitter Question of the Day, what should the Chicago Bears do at quarterback in 2023? It may seem like a dumb question, but as a general manager, you have to look at everything on your football team. Going into the draft, you have to analyze everything. Even at quarterback with a young quarterback that... You took in the first round, although in this case, the current GM, Ryan Poles, did not take Justin Fields. So he has to look at Fields, and is that the guy he wants to go forward with? This is the time to move on from Fields if there is someone in the draft you feel like is better suited for what you want to do with this franchise. I'm sure a lot of Bears fans do not want Justin Fields to be moved, and he probably will not. But I think as a fan, you have to tell your GM, at least look. And if you think there is a guy that is going to be better for the organization than Justin Fields, trade Fields and take somebody with the number one overall pick, Bryce Young, C.J. Stroud, whoever it is. Again, not likely, but something they have to consider. So we asked you, the fan, what should the Bears do? Stick with Justin Fields or trade Fields and draft a quarterback at number one? Well, the voting was convincing. 72% said forget it. Stick with Justin Fields. Don't mess with what we have going on right now on the offensive side of the football. So 72% stick with Justin Fields. 28% maybe want a different style quarterback in Chicago. Their thought is, trade Justin Fields, collect draft capital, and then draft a quarterback at number one. But only 28% went that direction. We thank you for voting, and now here is your opportunity to take part in today's Twitter question of the day, which is found on my Twitter account at 960 SportsBeat. Which of these items would improve your experience going to Notre Dame sporting events? Three choices. Number one, more affordable tickets. Number two, a better schedule. Number three, improve the quality of food at the venues. We'd love to get your opinion. You can vote right now on my Twitter account at 960 Sportsbeat. Which of these items would improve your experience going to the various Notre Dame sporting events? More affordable tickets, better schedule, improve the quality of the food. Vote right now and come back tomorrow. We'll pass along the results of this Twitter question of the day. 6.01 is our time at WSBT South Bend. Coming up, ACC basketball bracketology, Notre Dame hockey, Big Ten basketball power rankings, and a little sizzler on Sports Radio 960 WSBT.
0: Weekday sports feed on sports radio 960 WSBT. Wesley off balance shot, no good. Atkinson
1: put back, it's good. That's it. Happy St. Patrick's Day. Notre Dame in double overtime.
0: Here's your host, Darren Pritchett.
1: Happy St. Patrick's Day, baby!
2: 13 minutes after 6 o'clock, Budweiser's Weekday sports beat live on 960 AM WSBT, streaming live at WSBTradio.com and on the WSBT radio app. Got to mention this. You talk about parity in the National Football League. We have the NFL Conference Championship Games coming up this Sunday. Both games are right here on WSBT radio. The NFC at 3 o'clock, 49ers at Eagles, the nightcap, from Arrowhead, Bengals, at Chiefs, at 6.30. BetMGM has already come out with the four Super Bowl matchups. And you have the opportunity to wager on them already. Of course, three of the four are not going to happen. But why mention the word parody in the NFL... I don't remember the last couple of years since I started following this more closely that I have ever seen the Super Bowl odds of the four possibilities being so close. In fact, they're almost identically the same a half a point difference between the four different matchups. The widest margin in terms of a point spread would be the Bengals against the Eagles. The Eagles would be favored against Cincinnati by just a point and a half. The other three possibilities for Super Bowl 57, the favorite is by just one point. Kansas City and the Eagles, the Chiefs would be favored by one. The Chiefs and the 49ers, a rematch from three years ago, the Chiefs favored by one. And if it's the Bengals and the 49ers for a third time in Super Bowl history, it would be San Francisco favored by one point. I just thought that was really interesting, the four different Super Bowl 57 possibilities. One or one and a half, the point spreads of those four games. And equally interesting, the over-unders for the games are almost identical. Chiefs, Niners, 47 and a half. Bengals, 49ers, 48 and a half, and at 49 and a half, Chiefs, Eagles, and Bengals, Eagles. The NFL wants parity, and based on the odds put forth by Las Vegas, we should have one heck of a Super Bowl, no matter the combination of teams that win this weekend. So there you go. Minus one or minus one and a half, the point spreads for the four different matchups for the Super Bowl. All right, let's now change gears a tad bit. Let's go to some college basketball. Unfortunately, this is going to be a season in which the Irish basketball team will be watching the NCAA tournament unless they put forth the most magical run in the history of the historic ACC tournament. If Notre Dame wins the ACC tournament, there will be a documentary on Notre Dame basketball, book it. You'll be seeing it on the ACC network years to come because it would be a Cinderella run, the Irish 1-9 of the ACC right now. They'd have to play every day of the tournament in order to have a chance to win the championship and gain that automatic berth into the tournament. But otherwise, Indiana and Purdue from the state of Indiana... Are in really good shape to make the tournament. In fact, Purdue's the number one overall seed right now, according to all the bracketologists. Indiana State in a highly competitive, top loaded Missouri Valley Conference would have a chance to make the tournament, but they're going to have to win that automatic berth via Arch Madness down in St. Louis. The Valley is unbelievable. I've watched it for years, love the Valley, adding Belmont and Murray State to this conference has taken it to another level. I mean, through the years, they've lost Wichita State. They lost Tulsa. They've lost Loyola Chicago recently, which I didn't quite understand Loyola wanting to go to the A-10, and they've really struggled there. But the Valley with Belmont and Murray State to go along with Drake, Northern Iowa, Southern Illinois, Bradley, Illinois State. It is a fun conference, and the Sycamores – will have their hands full trying to make it to the field of 68. But let's stay more closer to home with Notre Dame being a member of the ACC. The conference has been down now for a couple of years. They've had some teams make runs, of course, Duke and Carolina, both from the ACC, both made it to the national semifinals last year with Carolina beating their arch rivals in Coach K's final game. This year the ACC is okay, nothing spectacular. But according to Joe Lenardi, the bracketologist at ESPN, going into tonight's action, the ACC would get seven bids into the NCAA tournament. Using Lenardi's bracketology, here's a look at what we might be looking forward to in terms of ACC teams in the tournament. We'll start in Lenardi's south bracket, where three ACC teams are located, including the Duke Blue Devils. John Shire now the head coach of the Blue Devils. They have not been as dominant this year. Right now, Duke would be a five-seat in the tournament, according to Lenardi. The net for Duke is only 30 right now against quad one teams. The Blue Devils are 3-6. and six. They are 2-0 and oh against quad two teams. So is this a Duke team that might be one and done? We've seen that a couple of times, even under Coach K., In recent years, I remember when Lehigh knocked off the Dukies. Well, according to Lenardi, the 5-seed Duke would take on the 12-seed Kent State in the first round out of the MAC, with the winner getting a really good Xavier team. They continue to play great basketball. They went to UConn and won last night, the favorite to come out of the Big East. And boy, does Indiana's road win over Xavier continue to look better and better and better as the Musketeers just roll through the Big East, including winning at UConn last night. Then you've got maybe the surprise team from the ACC. You could argue it's Clemson, but how about Pittsburgh? They've been a doormat for so long. The Panthers right now would make the tournament as an 11 seed. Their net isn't great, 63 but they are three and two against Quad One teams, three and four against Quad Two. According to Joe Lenardi, the 11-seeded Panthers would take on the six seed from the Big Ten, the Michigan State Spartans, in the next round. If Pittsburgh won, they would take on either the three seed Gonzaga or the 14 seed Eastern Washington. Be great to see Pittsburgh back in the NCAA tournament. I remember the one year I think they made it to the second round. And there's always that 11 o'clock or noon game on Saturday to kick off the second round. It was Bradley against Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh was the better-seeded team, so they were the home team. So CBS at the time, their scoreboard, had just four letters to use representing each team. And since it was Bradley against Pittsburgh, it was Brad and Pitt on the scoreboard. All right, also from the South in Joe Lenardi's bracket, the seven seed North Carolina State. We saw them against the Irish the other night. Really good offensive team. They're 42 in the net, two and four against quad one, three and one against quad two. The seven seeded Wolfpack would get a team that's really up and down. They look really good at times. I'm talking about the Missouri Tigers out of the Big 12, or out of the SEC, excuse me, a 10 seed with the winner getting the two-seed Kansas State, or the 15-seed Samford. We're looking at bracketology for ACC men's basketball teams, according to ESPN's Joe Lenardi. in the East Region. The team in first place in the ACC, how about the Clemson Tigers? But only an eight-seed in the East Regional, 56 net, 3-2 against Quad 1, 4-0 against Quad 2. The net doesn't like Clemson. But a really good team right now. The 8-9 matchup, always interesting. In Lenardi's bracket, it would be Clemson against the Wisconsin Badgers. And the winner would get the number one overall seed in the East, the Tennessee Volunteers. One other team in the East, and it is the highest-seeded ACC team, the Virginia Cavaliers. They would get a three-seed in the East. They are 15 in the net, 3-3 and against Quad 1. 3-0 3-0 against Quad 2 teams. Virginia would take on Princeton in the first round, the 14 seed, according to Lenardi. Remember when it was scary to play Princeton years ago? Georgetown almost got knocked off by Princeton in a 16-1 game. Pete Correll, the head coach, former head coach of the Tigers. Well, if Virginia gets by Princeton, they would take on the winner of the six seed Auburn, who would play against a team that would win a play-in game, A matchup of 11 seeds, Arizona State, and how about the Northwestern Wildcats right now? Over 500 in the Big Ten and a tournament team as of right now. No ACC teams in the Midwest region, according to Lenardi. And then we go out west, we find two more ACC teams. The North Carolina Tar Heels, national runner-up last year, early in the season, the number one team of the country right now, an eight seed. Their net is 31. Their quad one record, just one in six, they are 5-0 and oh against quad two teams. This would be a terrific first-round matchup, and I would pick North Carolina to lose as they would take on the nine seed from the Big East, the Creighton Blue Jays. The winner of North Carolina, Creighton would get the winner of, and this is a toss-up, the one seed Houston Blue taking on my alma mater, the 16-seed SIU SIU Edwardsville. We have never made the tournament out of the Ohio Valley. We're in a five-way tie for first right now. Probably dreaming big, but it would be cool just to see the name come up. So, of course, it's a coin flip between Houston and SIUE. The final ACC team in the tournament, according to Lenardi, the Miami Hurricanes, a six-seed in the West, 37 in the net, 4-3 4-3 against Quad 1, 1-0 one oh against Quad 2. An interesting matchup against the 11-seed Maryland with the winner of Miami-Maryland taking on the victor of Iowa State, the 3-seed, and the 14-seed Colgate. So, in this hypothetical bracket by Lenardi, you've got some Big Ten ACC matchups. That tournament's going away, of course. pittsburgh against Michigan State, Clemson against Wisconsin, and Miami going up against Maryland. Two teams not in Lenardi's field right now. Virginia Tech, the defending ACC champion, they just beat Duke the other night at home, only their second ACC win. Their net is 52. They are 2-4 and four against Quad 1, 3-3 three three against Quad 2. The other contender, Wake Forest, 70 net, 2-5. Against quad one teams. So, according to Joe Lenardi, the ACC would get seven bids Duke of five, Pittsburgh 11, NC State seven, Clemson eight, Virginia three, Carolina eight, Miami six. The Big Ten has the most teams in the field with ten, and the Big 12, which is just loaded from top to bottom, eight teams in the field as of right now. So, who are the best teams? In the Big Ten right now, I think we know who number one is. And then you've got a bunch of teams kind of scrapping for position in the top five. In the My Five question of the day, which is coming up next, I'll offer my power rankings, the top five teams in the Big Ten. We'll get to some Notre Dame hockey and sports wagering talk before the top of the hour. Mike Bray Show coming up at 7 on Sports Radio 960 WSBT.
0: Leading off on Budweiser's weekday sports beat. Don't you guys go anywhere. Plan to put on a hitting display. The center fielder. That
1: boy's
2: good.
0: Number nine. Nine times.
2: Nine times.
0: Nine times. West League champion.
1: Adios, walk-off home run, Eloy Jimenez.
0: Who prefers to cheer for the birds on a bat. Adios, goodbye, and maybe that's a winner. Here's Darren Pritchett.
2: 6.33 at Sports Radio 960 WSBT. Sports be brought to you by Budweiser, the king of beers, locally distributed by United Beverage Company of South Bend. Sports fans, this Bud's for you. By the Mishawaka Education Foundation, the Food Bank of Northern Indiana. Pet Refuge, Midland Engineering Company, and Barnaby's of Mishawaka and Granger.
0: One question, five answers. This is the My Five Questions of the Day on Sports Radio 960 WSBT.
2: Today's My Five Question of the Day, my Big Ten Men's Basketball Power Rankings. Ladies and gentlemen. This is number five. Coming in at number five, the Michigan State Spartans. Tom Izzo's team, 13-7, tied for fifth in the Big Ten with a record of 5-4. and four. They've got a good threesome to put the ball in the bucket. Tyson Walker at 14.3 points per game. Joey Hauser does a little bit of everything, 13 points and almost eight rebounds a ball a game. And A.J. Hoggard, 12 points and six assists a contest. They have some really good wins on their resume. They beat Kentucky 86-77. Now the Wildcats are down this year. As is Villanova. Spartans won 73-71. They beat Oregon by four in the Big Ten. A nine-point win over Penn State, 67-58. They beat their rivals Michigan 59-53 and wins over Wisconsin. And a big one over Rutgers last week And East Lansing, 70-57. Four! Yeah. Number four in my Big Ten power ranking is the mystery team of the Big Ten. They're 14 and 14-6, also 5-4 and four in the Big Ten, tied for fifth. It is Brad Underwoods fighting Illini of Illinois. Arguably the most talented team in the Big Ten, but also they are the most inconsistent team in the Big Ten. You look at some of their wins. They beat UCLA 79-73. They crushed Syracuse 73-44. An overtime win at Madison Square Garden over Texas 85-78. But within the league, they're just 5-4 with a 10-point win over Wisconsin, a come-from-behind 9-point win over Michigan State. They beat Ohio State 69-60. They've lost at home to Penn State. They lost at Northwestern and got crushed on their home floor by Indiana last week. If they're going to be for real, their grad transfers are going to have to lead the way. Terrence Shannon, 18 points, 6 rebounds, 3 assists. And Michael Meyer from Baylor, 10 points, 5 rebounds, and shooting 36% from the field. When Illinois is at its best there, 6'11", do-everything player Coleman Hawkins is doing his job. He gets into funks, turns it over way too much. But a stat-stuffer, 9.6 rebounds, three assists of all a game.
1: Oh, okay, okay. Uh,
2: number three. Coming in at number three, the preseason favorite, Indiana. The Hoosiers, 14-6, 5-4 in the Big Ten. In the midst of a four-game winning streak, including wins over Wisconsin, Illinois, Michigan State, and last night, they had to come from behind in the second half at Minnesota. hmm but they got the job done behind their do-everything big guy who has come into his own. Wasn't great earlier in his career at Indiana. Late last year, this year, has been a dominating player. How about Trace Jackson Davis' last seven games? 24 points, 14 rebounds, four assists, four block shots a game, and 36 minutes of action. This team could go to another level if their freshman guard, Jalen Hood, Shafino, becomes a little more consistent. Last two games, he's 3 of 17 from the field, 0 of 6 from 3. He has not made a three-pointer in four games, but still averaging 12 points, four rebounds, and four assists. Indiana has a massive win at Xavier, 81-79, and really good wins over Carolina, 77-65. They blew out Wisconsin in Bloomington 63-45, a road win over Illinois 80-65 and a really nice win at home over Michigan State 82 to 69. Number 2 My Big 10 power rankings number 2, the Rutgers Scarlet Knights. This team plays hard and they play terrific defense. The rack Hey, Notre Dame fans, remember how tough it was to play at Rutgers when they were a part of the Big East? The Knights are 12-2 at home this year overall, 14-6, second place in the Big Ten at 6-3. They've got wins over Indiana, Ohio State, Penn State. They blew out Wake Forest 81-57, and the only team to beat Purdue this year was in West Lafayette by a single point. Let me validate my thought on their defense. Their scoring defense is number four in the country. They give up just 57 points per game. Clifford O'Manary, 6'11", junior, 13 points, 10 rebounds, and two block shots per game. They're going to be a handful come March. Number one. No doubt who number one is, the Purdue Boilermakers, 19-1, 8-1 of the Big Ten. They are the leaders and the number one team of the country. How about their non-conference resume? Beat Marquette, 75-70. Blew out Gonzaga on a neutral floor, 84-66. They hammered Duke on a neutral floor, 75-56 within the Big Ten. Two-point win over Ohio State, one-point win over Michigan State. Zach Eady, All-American candidate, 21 points, 13 rebounds, two-and-a-half blocks per game. And I love their freshman guards that Matt Painter has brought in. Fletcher, lawyer. From Homestead, 12 points per game. And Braden Smith, 9.9 points, 4.9 rebounds, and 4.3 assists. I just mentioned Rutgers defensively. How about Purdue? The Boilermakers, number seven in the country in points per game allowed at just 59.8%. John Rothstein, college basketball insider on the CBS Sports Network just a little bit ago talked about the possibility of the Boilermakers being that number one overall seed in the NCAA tournament.
0: You're going to see a Purdue team right now that is in the driver's seat to be the number one overall seed in the NCAA tournament. Now what do I mean by that? As I was going and preparing my bracket for tomorrow, which you're one of three people who read every Friday, <laughs> Purdue as of right now has more quad one wins, seven, than any other team in college basketball. Because of how strong the Big Ten is, Brent, Purdue is in position to continue to separate itself from the pack and be the number one overall seed on Selection Sunday, which is just six weeks from Sunday, not that anybody's counting. How
2: about that? We're not- Not too far away from the brackets being unveiled. Boilermakers in great shape right now. As you heard John say, they are right now in the driver's seat to be the number one seat. I'm not sure the Big Ten is as good as the metrics show. I'm a little hesitant to say it's that strong. I think the Big 12 is by far the best conference in America. And there's just some inconsistent teams in the Big Ten that make you feel like, oh, boy, here we go again with another march in which there's a lot of Big Ten teams that make the tournament. But they all fail to make it to at least the Sweet 16 or the Elite Eight. That's been a problem for the Big Ten. Remember, they have not won a championship since the Flintstones, Tom Izzo, and Michigan State over two decades Will it change this year? Not holding my breath. Boilermakers have a young backcourt, and March Madness is all about those veteran backcourts, so you wonder, is that going to be something that holds the Boilermakers back despite the fact how good Lawyer and Smith have been so far this year? That's the My 5 question of the day. My Big Ten Power Rankings, 1 through 5, Purdue, Rutgers, Indiana, Illinois, and Michigan State. We'll come back with a little sizzler. Sports wagering talk coming up next on Sports Radio 960 WSBT. Amy,